Loving Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you so much for your word, how that reveals um, who you are to us um, and your heart. Um, as we study it now, we pray that you'd help us to understand your mission to the poor um, and how we can play a role in it. Uh, through Jesus, we pray. Amen. So I recently heard the story of a, um, a student who just started at Bible college. Now, he had a real interest, he had a real passion for the poor. Um, and his fellow students couldn't understand why he was so devoted to the poor. So this student got one of these, he got a new Bible, and he decided he'd read through it. And so he read through it. And every time he came to a passage or a scripture or a verse um, relating to the poor, he got some scissors and he cut these verses out. And when he came to the end of it, you can imagine what the Bible looked like. Basically, it was a whole, holy Bible. Holy, holy Bible. <laughs> Sorry. I've been planning that pun for weeks. No, but um, don't worry. It's the, it's the only one as well. But you can just imagine, it was, it was basically unreadable. Like, it wouldn't, it, you couldn't read it. It would fall apart. It wouldn't hold together. Um, he did this, basically, just to show how concerned God was for the poor. And that's basically why we're finishing our mini-series this week. On, um, on God's mission by looking at his mission to the poor. Um, it's something that basically we can't really ignore when we come to read the Bible. Now I'd like to just imagine for a second that the year is not 2016, it is in fact 1835. Okay? You still live in London, but rather than living in North London, you live in East London. Um, you live with your spouse, maybe, there's, maybe you've got four or five children, um, but you're poor. Okay. There's none of the benefits that we have of modern life, so there's no central heating, there's no electricity. Um, the sewer runs right past your front door. Um, on the street, there's probably another 40 families, maybe cramped into 10 houses. You can't afford much food. Certainly, there's not enough food for you to be able to feed your family. So you think that your lot is bad. You think, does, does, God, does God care for me? This is what he's given me? Does he just care for the rich people? Now, this is the London that a young Scotsman called David Naismith um, was met with when he moved from Glasgow to London. Now, he actually set up an organization called London City Mission, which John prayed for in our prayers. That was not planned, by the way. That was just a fluke, okay? <laughs> um, its aim was to train missionaries to serve the poor. Um, so their instruction were, was to go to the people for the purpose of bringing them to an acquaintance with salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, and of, doing, and of doing them good by every means in your power. Now this is just one example of, of thousands in the UK and across the world of Christians being at the forefront of caring for the poor. I mean, you, you probably have got your own stories that you know. But why? Why is it the case that Christians, particularly throughout history, have sought to care for the poor? Well, we're going to see tonight that Christians have got something, they've caught something of the heart of God. They reflect their God who cares for the poor. So we're going to have a look at what God's mission to the poor is, and then think about how we, as Christians, as the church, can play a role in this mission. So you'll see from your handout tonight, we've got two points, then three bullet points. Um, so please follow along with that. Please make some notes. Also, you'll also notice uh, we put a slight error on there. It's not Psalm 126. It's obviously Psalm 146, so do correct that. Um, in fact, that's where we're going to start with first. So let's have a look at Psalm 146, and I'm going to read from verse 5. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God. 
the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them, the Lord who remains faithful forever. These verses, I love these verses. They're telling us, they're reminding us that God is the creator of everything. Everything we see, he created. But they're also telling us that he remains faithful to all of his creation forever. The next few verses, we see one way um, how he does that. Let's carry on. He upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the alien, sustains the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the ways of the wicked. I mean, these, these verses are basically just a, kind of, a list of, of people who are weak, aren't they? The poor, the oppressed, the prisoner, the foreigner, the widow. And this, these verses show us that God has these people in mind. He is a God who is intimately involved in the lives of people who need help, who have no one else on their side. Verse 9 tells us that God is a God of justice, that he favours the oppressed over the oppressor. Did you notice that? Let's read it. The Lord watches over the alien and sustains the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the ways of the wicked. He will show favour to the poor, the excluded and the oppressed, um, over the wicked, over those who oppress the weak. Now, hopefully... You're thinking, this is pretty good news. This is good news, all right? I can see why God cares for the widows. I can see why God cares for the fatherless. You know, they're the victims. Um, perhaps they're victims of circumstance, victims of society. But there's a question. I have a question. What about those who are not victims? Perhaps there are people who have, maybe, maybe they've not made the most opportunities, uh, most of their opportunities in their life. Or perhaps they, they, they were wealthy, but they've squandered their wealth. And so now they're living um, destitute. The question then is, does God still side with those people? Well, this psalm is written um, about the people of, of God, who th themselves were oppressed. They were enslaved as punishment for their sins. Um, it, it was their own fault. They, they basically squandered the blessings that God had given them. Yet God had mercy on them. The psalm is almost a testimony of what God has done for them. We were prisoners and God set us free. We were hungry, we were oppressed, we were bowed down because of our sin, yet God has lifted us up. So we see that God is concerned with the, wealth, with the welfare of the needy, regardless of whether it is their fault or whether they are the victim. I mean, just, just imagine for a second if, if this was not the case. If God only showed favour to the wealthy, to those with real status, to those with real influence, to those who perhaps are trodden on others so that they could rise up. Imagine this. You're basically imagining a world with no Christian compassion. Everybody's worth would be based upon their own status. We don't actually have to imagine this. This all too difficult, um, really, because I mean, some, some of the societies in the world are based on this system. Um, take the, the caste system in, in Hinduism, for example. Um, where there are four castes, and people are di uh, divided into castes based on their duty, based on their, their works. So you've got the top, the top caste for the scholars and the priests, and you've got the bottom, class, bottom caste for the, um, the laborers, those that do the manual work. And then you've even got a further class of people that aren't even in this classification, 
They're the untouchables. They're the ones that do jobs that, that pollute the soul, like cleaning the streets. I mean, this is just not a just society, is it? Do you see how that is exactly the opposite of who our God is? In fact, our God cares so much for the poor. He's got such a desire to help them that when he was given the ancient laws um, to Israel, he made specific provisions for the poor. So, for example, every third year, one-tenth of everybody's income would be put into a public barn so that the poor could come and take what they needed. Every seven years, all debts would be, uh, regardless of of the amount, would be cancelled. Every 50 years, the year of the Jubilee, all land would revert back to its original family and all slaves would be released. It's great news, isn't it? But God is not just all talk. He's not just all instruction. He showed us that he cares about the poor through Christ. We find countless examples of, of how Jesus cared for the poor in the Gospels. In fact, Jesus did exactly what this psalm says God does. So, he raised a widow's son back from the dead. He gave sight to the blind. He ate with some regarded as the worst in society, the least in society. He welcomed them. He lifted those who were bowed down. And this is great news, isn't it? We must be thankful to God. The maker of heaven and earth cares about the little and the weak. Let's praise God that people's importance isn't based upon who they are. It's not based upon how wealthy they are or what job they have or how much influence they have. He cares for people regardless of their status. And so he's worthy of our praise. And the psalm, look at verse 1, verse 10, both starts and ends with a, a command. Praise the Lord. So friends, let us worship God because he does care for the poor. And so then the question is, what is his mission? So now if you want to flick forward or backwards uh, to Luke chapter 4. And I'm just going to read from, uh, I'll start from verse 18, I think. This is Jesus speaking in the synagogue. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendants and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him and he began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now this is right at the beginning of uh, Jesus' ministry. He almost decides to introduce his ministry with these words that are found originally in Isaiah. Now Isaiah was writing these words. When he was writing them, he was speaking to the the people of God in exile. Um, They'd just been shipped out of the land that God had given them. They were poor. They were enslaved. They were living separate from God. This was all all as a result of their sin. Despite that, though, these verses are incredibly positive. God is promising that he will bring someone, a saviour, who will proclaim good news to the poor. Isaiah was saying to the people in exile, you're in exile, but there is hope of reconciliation to God. Jesus then, by using the same words, is saying that complete and eternal hope 
of reconciliation is found in him. So the Israelites were enslaved because of their poverty, uh, sorry, because of their sin. And sin these days is no different from the sin then. It still drives us away from God. It drives us away from his blessings, just like it did for the Israelites. I mean, it might not make us materially poor. Maybe just the opposite. Maybe it would make us incredibly wealthy. But it still brings us spiritual poverty away from God. Um, You might be familiar with the story um, a little later on in Luke of the rich ruler. He was a guy who had it all. He had wealth. He had status. He was well regarded amongst the people. But yet his heart was torn apart with sadness when Jesus told him that he would have treasures in heaven if he sold all that he had and give to the poor. He just didn't recognize his poverty and it tore him apart. So I suppose the risk for us is, is similar, really. That we too might fail to, risk, uh, fail to recognize just how spiritually poor we are. And God's mission, so God's mission to the poor is, is, is actually a mission to everyone. Because we are spiritually poor. We are all in need. We have all sinned. We've all been um, separated from God because of that sin. It isn't obviously a mission to make. Jesus' mission isn't a mission to make everyone wealthy. You see, he would never have died. He would just have stayed around giving money, building schools, building hospitals, making sure everyone was okay. Rather, it's a mission to bring us spiritual riches. And that's exactly why Jesus uses these verses. Just have a look again, verse 19. Jesus says, I have come to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, Jesus here is, is talking about the ultimate year of the Jubilee. Do you remember, every 50 years, slaves are going to be released and land was going to be, um, revert back to its original owner. Things were basically going to be reset. And Jesus is coming to say um, that I have come so that you can be freed from your slavery to sin, so that you can be restored back to God. Some of you might have heard um, of an organisation that was set up around the millennium um, called Jubilee 2000. I can't actually believe that's nearly 17, 17 years ago. That's quite scary. Um, this organisation, the aim was to put um, political pressure on Western governments uh, to cancel the debts of uh, third world countries. I think it was about $90 billion in total they were aiming um, to release. Um, the aim obviously being to, to help relieve those, um, those living in poverty in poor countries. I mean, it was a great idea, wasn't it? 90 billion pounds, that is a lot of money. But it isn't nearly enough. It couldn't free people from their spiritual poverty. So as Christians, our hope, what we look forward to is the day when Jesus comes back and we see completely the year of the Lord's favour, where all of our poverty, all of it, regardless of whether it's spiritual, physical, material, social poverty, all of it is done away with. It's reset, and we can enjoy God and his blessings fully. So the call of Jesus here, then, is to come to him. Come to the one who can set you free, who who can release you from spiritual poverty. That means, that will enable you to be able to say with confidence, yes, I was spiritually poor. Maybe I'm still materially poor. But in Christ, in Jesus, I am wonderfully 
rich. And so God's mission, freedom from spiritual poverty and restoration. But what does that mean? Well, let's have a look at some of the implications of that. So firstly, we're going to look at implications for the poor, the materially poor. We've already seen that it doesn't matter how wealthy you are. It doesn't matter what's, what status or what caste you fall into. God wants to liberate you from spiritual poverty. And so the materially poor have a hope for the future. The real daily struggles that are being faced right now because of poverty are not forever. The year of the Lord's favour is coming. Now you might be thinking, and I'm thinking this a little bit too, that's, that sounds very easy for me to say standing up here today in a wealthy area, in a wealthy city, in a wealthy country. Uh, most people probably here are not struggling with day-to-day -day, um, issues of poverty, though some, of course, might be. Um, so I'm, I'm going to tell you a story I read recently about some young people um, in one of the poorest slums uh, in Mexico City. The story was following a young man called Daniel. Daniel was born in the slum. But sadly, his father abandoned him and his family when he was young. His mother, as a result, turned to alcohol and to men. In order to be able to provide for his younger brothers and sisters, Daniel took a job as an illegal tradesman. Basically, he was smuggling um, cigarettes, alcohol, even women, into prison. But he himself was caught and thrown into prison. Um, shortly after his release, his brother was uh, killed in an accident. A worker at a, a Christian organisation met Daniel at his brother's funeral. They built up a friendship. The worker shared the good news of Jesus with Daniel. And Daniel became a Christian. And now, he's, now he started working at the Christian organisation. Um, Daniel's friends um, at the organisation, all from similar backgrounds, all now following Christ, were interviewed in this story. And it really struck me um, when they were asked what their dreams were for the future. You might expect them to say, we want to get out of this slum. We want to be rich. We want to be successful. We want to be out of here. But instead, they said, I want to serve God right here in this slum. I hope the work here brings change through God's word. I want us to change our families and our communities as they see God through us. I find that quite inspiring, really. I mean, these young people had understood, probably, probably better than I ever really will do, that they had riches in Christ that far outweighed their material riches. And that's, of course, not to say that poor people should just shut up and put up. They should just stay in the slum and um, accept what they've got. Of course, that's not the case. I mean, part, part of the problem with poverty is that um, it robs you of your empowerment. You, you're unable to change your circumstances. But these young people were empowered by the gospel of Christ and, of course, of their church. They used that empowerment to spread the gospel. Yes, yeah, some, some did leave. Some did go to study at university. But what I found so encouraging from this, that empowered by the gospel, their minds were set on eternity, not on the riches of this world. So God's mission is good news for the poor, but it also has implications for the rich. Let me read from Proverbs 14 um, to you. This is verse 31. Whoever oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker, 
but whoever is kind to the needy honours God. So there's one warning and one instruction here. Firstly, let's look at the warning. Whoever oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker. This is a warning for us, really, isn't it? The, the materially wealthy. Perhaps we should ask ourselves, how are we living our lives? Do, do, we, do we stop? Do we make time to consider that we might be oppressing others through the choices that we make? For example, do, does, does the way we buy things keep others living in poverty? Are our clothes... Or the food we eat, are they, are, they, are they ethically made, ethically sourced? Secondly, the instruction. Whoever is kind to the needy honours God. Now, we might be tempted to think, the gospel is such good news for the poor, why should we care for them? I mean, God's got them sorted for the whole of eternity, right? Why, why should we worry? But we're called to be like our Father. He cares for the poor, so much so that he sent Jesus. And so we too must be generous to the needy. By doing so, we honour God by reflecting what he has done for us. I mean, just, just one quick practical way that we could do this here in church, maybe even tonight, is at the back there's a food bank box um, and all the, all the donations in there go to a local food bank. I mean, that is one way that we can so easily be generous to the needy in our community. The other question, of course, that we must consider when thinking of these things is, is do, how, how do we respond to our wealth? Do we, do we cling on to it? Do we value it above God? Are we like the rich ruler whose happiness was in his wealth and in his status? Instead, our confidence needs to be in God. Worldly items, they're, they're going to pass away, but we're promised treasure in heaven that will never fade. The result of this, of course, when we, when we grasp the reality of that is real joy, real security, not, not longing for things of this world. In fact, it gives us uh, opportunities, perhaps, to be better placed to serve God and to serve others. So, for example, if we're not clinging on to our wealth quite as much, we might be able to give finan more financially to the church than we do already to help support the work of the gospel. Um, in Luke, a bit later on, in, in Luke 8... There is a list of women who travelled around with Jesus and his disciples as they went from town to town proclaiming the good news. Um, the good news. And they did this to support Jesus um, and his disciples. Now, some, some, were, uh, some of these women were materially rich. Some were materially poor. But Luke tells us that they were all women who had been freed from spiritual poverty through Christ. Their response was to serve him. They should really be an example for us. Finally then, implications for the church, for us as the body of Christ. We, we know that the call of the church is to follow Christ's lead. We, we must serve as he served. We must proclaim the year of the Lord's favour and that people can be freed from spiritual poverty. Right now, I mean, we're, we're sitting here, aren't we, in probably one of the wealthiest, most expensive streets in Hampstead. But just half a mile that way down the road is a council estate. The challenge for us as a church then is what are we doing to try and reach the poor in our community with the good news of Jesus? I mean, do we find ourselves feeling maybe too comfortable here? Too satisfied maybe with being a wealthy church in a wealthy area? 
Throughout history, the way Christians have cared for the poor has given credibility to their message. Let me give you an example. Um, a plague once swept through the, the Roman Empire. 5,000 people a day were dying because of this plague in Rome alone. And you might think the obvious response is, well, let's get out of here then. But the Christians, they stayed put in Rome. They cared for those that were ill, even those that persecuted them, even those that were pagan, they cared for. It might seem if 5,000 people a day are dying in a city, that this is, this, is this is the end of the world. But actually, it was not. It actually promoted the spread of the gospel. Christians showed that by caring for the poor in the face of possible death, their own death, that the hope they had in Christ was far more than anything that life could offer them. I mean, we're blessed in this country, aren't we? We have, uh, we have uh, a country that makes provision for the poor. We have social services. Uh, we have NHS, the NHS. We have, we have charities and so on. But as Christians, we shouldn't leave it up to society to care for the poor. The way we care for the poor shows the way, now shows us um, that we care for their eternity. Um, I read uh, in the paper a little while back a story about a church in America that installed a new statue just on the edge of their premises. Uh, the statue was of a bench, and on a bench was a man wrapped in a blanket. He was meant to represent Jesus, wrapped in a blanket, sleeping. The point of the, 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 uh, the statue was to, to remind the church that they are to care for the marginalized in society. Yet, people in the church were shocked by it. One guy called it scary. One girl, one lady even phoned the police to complain because she found it so offensive that this statue was here. And it got me thinking, if these people, if this is how they react to a homeless person, a fake homeless person even, how would they react to a real homeless person knocking on their door? How would we react as a church to a homeless person sleeping outside on one of the benches out there? Surely the best thing that we can do um, as the church for the poor is to be the church, to be a place where people find belonging, where they feel, find welcome, where they find people who are willing to serve them. I'm just going to end by telling you a final story about a church I heard in the, uh, which is based in the slums of Bombay in India. Um, it's called the Valley of Praise, which I think is a great name, considering it's basically kind of shanty town and horrible slums. The Valley of Praise. So positive, isn't it? Um, the church here owns a really small building. Um, there's, there's one room downstairs and there's one room upstairs. Um, the church workers, the people working for the church, actually live on the ground floor, in the ground floor room. The church, the room above, is where the services are held. It's a small room. They can just about cram 50 people into that room. But the meeting room is also used for a lot of other things. Every single night, it's full of street children because they've got nowhere else to go. It provides accommodation for the least in their society. They've got nowhere else to go. They come to the church. It also houses a clinic. It holds preschool classes. It even got a small little library. This, to me, seems a great example of how a church could be serving the poor in its community. Uh, basically, they're joining in God's mission, proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor, telling people, but also showing people that they can have freedom from spiritual poverty through Christ. 
the same time, they're, they're caring for the least in their community, the poorest in community, just as God would do. So I'm just going to finish um, in prayer now. Um, so would you like to bow your heads and we'll pray. Father, we, uh, we, we praise you for who you are. You're our maker. You're always faithful uh, to your creation. And thank you that you sent your son Jesus to release us from spiritual poverty. Um, we just ask that you would help us to serve uh, just as he did, to proclaim freedom for the poor and to care for the little ones, for the weak ones, and to look forward to the day when he comes again and brings us final freedom from our poverty. We look forward to that day. And we pray this in his name. Amen.